This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, May 26th. I'm Virginia Allen. A doctrine of demons is invading Christian churches across America, according to Lucas Miles. Miles is the pastor of Influencer Church and author of Woke Jesus, the false messiah destroying Christianity. Miles warns that woke Christianity or progressive Christianity or the Christian left boils down to a false version of the faith tracing back to Marxist substructure that reframes the faith in terms of oppressors and oppressed. The Daily Signal's Tyler O'Neill sat down with Miles at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando this week to discuss what can and should be done about the false political agenda influencing the church. Stay tuned for Tyler's conversation with Lucas Miles after this. Conservative women are problematic women. Why? because we don't adhere to the agenda of the radical left. Every Thursday morning on the Problematic Women podcast, Kristen Eikammer, Lauren Evans, and me, Virginia Allen, are joined by other conservative women to break down the big issues and news you care about. Whether you're interested in hot takes and conversations on pop culture or what Congress is up to, Problematic Women has you covered. We sort through the news to keep you up to date on the issues that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning, that is, problematic women. Find Problematic Women wherever you like to listen to podcasts and follow the show on Instagram. This is Tyler O'Neill, Managing Editor at The Daily Signal. I am joined by Lucas Miles, uh, pastor, host of the show Church and State with Lucas Miles, and author of the new book, Woke Jesus, The False Messiah Destroying Christianity. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So, Lucas, can you walk us through how the left aims to subvert Jesus? I've seen Democrats claim Jesus was a radical, a refugee, even transgender. What's going on? So without a doubt, there's a concerted effort that is seems to be picking up a lot of momentum in recent years of the left's read defining of Christianity, uh, reimagining Christ, what he looks like, what his nature is, and, and of course, outside of a biblical uh, worldview. But I think it's important that people understand that this isn't necessarily a new phenomenon, that this, you know, in my book, Woke Jesus, I go back to uh, as early as the, the 1700s after the the Enlightenment, during the post-Enlightenment period. Um, the, the world was at a different place, and actually a very similar place that it is today, where there was a paradigm shift. And so for the first time, um, there was an elevation of man's intellect over this idea of faith. And so logic and reason, the scientific method, Darwin, all these things, Hegel, Kant, all of these um, uh, sort of new um, machinations, if you will, of man uh, became the, the paramount. And so the church was in a dilemma. It had to find a way to make scripture stay relevant. And they did that actually by, uh, wrongly, but they, uh, you know, probably with good intention, they did it by minimizing the, the divinity of Christ and uplifting his humanity. And that's the same debate we have today is, is Jesus just a great human example and a human witness? And that promotes a social gospel and at times a socialist gospel, or is he 
truly divine? And of course, this, the Christian answer is he's both. And but that has that has certain implications. So what we're seeing today, and what I write about in Woke Jesus, are the various iterations of Christ that we see presented and now financed by the left. And that's what makes this different than just what happened in the 1700s. 1700s, I think, as many ways was a uh, was a was a natural discourse of theology and the conversations. What we see today is the monetization and the funding of a woke gospel in order to divide the church so that the left can really uh, um, uh, uh, weaken the evangelical vote in this country, win elections, and, and gain more power. So how would you describe define or explain this woke gospel. Yeah. So if you're talking to somebody who who is an adherent to it, they would say probably something like, uh, although it'd be much more complex than this, that wokeism is uh, a a higher awareness or increased sensitivity to the systemic oppression of various demographics, whether that be uh, people of color or, um, uh, you know, people based upon their gender or sexual preference or something like that. Um, the way that I would describe it, you know, first off, I think it is a doctrine of demons. I mean, it, it's it's uh, uh, its intention is um, to divide people. It's a Marxist substructure that really lines it. And this idea that there's oppressor and oppressed and that everybody's divided in these categories. So whether we're talking about critical race theory or or critical queer theory, these are attributes of the woke uh, gospel. And I think what woke Christianity or progressive Christianity or the Christian left, it can go by all these different names. It's important to understand that there's a spectrum. We have some individuals that have maybe some some, uh, 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 you know, theological um, imaginations or, or leanings towards some of these doctrines. And then we have all out activists that are, you know, really leftist operatives within the church. And I, and I think it's important to, to give, you know, to give recognition to that because our response to those different groups is different. Somebody who's truly a believer that's maybe embraced a social justice message because they think it's going to be the best thing to help the world. I'm going to respond to differently than a leftist infiltrator into the church that's trying to create a bunch of havoc. And so, you know, we, 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 uh, we utilize grace and truth, which are, you know, obviously very, uh, very strong, uh, um, uh, you know, Christian uh, principles and values that we hold to in order to kind of walk our way through this. But but wokeism is uh, it's antithetical to, to Christianity. And I think one of the things that's important to point out is that one of the greatest problems with with wokeism from a Christian standpoint is it robs us of the ability to be able to suffer for Christ. As believers, one of the only things that we can give to the Lord on this side of heaven that we can't give to him for eternity is um, is 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 glory in the midst of persecution and suffering. There will be no persecution and suffering in heaven. I only have my lifetime in order to offer obedience to him and faithfulness in, in the face of persecution during this life. But wokeism removes persecution for the sake of Christ because persecution, according to wokeism, is always based upon my, my you know, socioeconomic status, my skin color, my country of origin, my sexual preference, my gender, you know, um, uh, immigration status, all of these things. So that's driving why people are being persecuted. It's a very self-focused, man-focused uh, um, view of persecution and suffering, and, and it never gives credence to being able to suffer for Christ. And the other thing it does is it robs us it, it robs us of the ability to offer forgiveness. There is no such thing as redemption or forgiveness um, because the other group is always classified as the oppressor. Uh, and and so and the wokeism would teach you, uh, or whether we're talking about other iterations of it, of... of um, uh, things like black liberation theology would teach you to never be nice or graceful to your oppressors, which of course goes against the Christian gospel as well. So 
do we have in wokeism this sort of bifurcation of, you know, black queer theory, oh, Jesus was a black LGBT person or whatever, and, you know, perhaps like Hispanic queer theory, like, are there different versions and they they grab different parts of Jesus, or is this all one thing, would you say? So I, I think that, you know, you could probably best explain this as like a hydra, you know, it, it, or, you know, you have the, the giant octopus sea monster that we're all, you know, we're all experiencing a different tentacle of the same thing. And so oftentimes these groups don't even know that they're part of the same kind of body of belief or structure. Um, you know, but we saw this, uh, we saw this, I think, early with BLM. Uh, BLM comes out on the scene, you start having corporate donations to them, you go on their website, like many Americans. And I, what I saw was um, that they were committed to, you know, a, a basically a dismantling of the nuclear family. And then you go down the list a little bit more and you see that they're committed to um, uh, supporting black trans rights. And very quickly, I think BLM, um, you know, which from my vantage point has done virtually nothing to help, um, you know, dis disadvantaged people in, in um, you know, urban, urban neighborhoods or people of color. What it has done more than anything is it very quickly started... Uh, um, you know, it kind of opened the door for uh, this this trans revolution that we've seen. I think that that really came out of the BLM movement in a lot of ways. And so these these groups oftentimes will sort of hijack each other. They'll they'll fight for the top of the food chain. They all want the same thing, and that is a dismantling of this Western way of life. It's a Marxist. You know, Marxism d never encourages fixing something. It doesn't look at something and go, "How can we improve this?" You know, that's a that's a cap capitalist framework. What Marxism does is says, let's burn it to the ground and the phoenix will arise out of the ashes. And I think that that's the goal of all these different groups. And so our critical race theorists or black liberation theologians or, or critical queer theorists or uh, the, the TikTok pastors that are wearing the rainbow scarves, are they all you know part of the same group? I don't think that they think they are. I think they probably think that they're friendly with one another. But I think that there is a greater um, uh, school of thought, and that is critical theory in general that is driving all of them. And, and it, it makes it very difficult to combat because it, it, even though they are unique in each of their you know, uh, uh, focus and, and, um, and messaging, uh, for us on the other side of this that are trying to stand for truth in a biblical worldview, it, it does, they do produce, whether you know, they even realize it sometimes, a very united front against truth and, and reason and, and you know, uh, scripture and these things that we see today. So it's it's definitely an interesting time to be alive. Yeah, and we've touched on a few of the issues where there's clear disconnect between the Christian gospel and, you know, the modern woke view, transgender ideology. Where are some of those conflict points? And then what encourages some of these people to re-examine and actually come to an understanding of the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, let, let's say that we look at an issue like um, the issue of gender. The Bible is very clear that there is male and female, that, that marriage is male and female. And so, you know, we could go through a whole series of scriptures over that. The uh, the LGBT community, you will hear arguments about a 1948 translation of scripture and and that this word, you know, um, uh, that, that we use for, for homosexuality, um, uh, a synecoite, I believe is the word, you know, was not was not uh, used prior to that time period. And when you really understand what happens here, that, that the, this word 
word that we see that's translated from the Greek uh, into this word for homosexuality is, is a word that Paul essentially made up. And he took two words from the, uh, I believe it was the, the Septuagint, that he put these together and, and, and sort of created this compound word. And it's, it's essentially a word that implies uh, those who uh, lay with other men. And, and so this, this, but, you know, even if you just, even if you just went to that passage, that's not the only passage there. So we could, we could have an argument about that passage, but you still have to deal with all the other places in scripture where it talks about fornication and evil and these things. And I don't know how any Christian could be on the side when you look at, uh, um, you know, a gay parade or a trans parade that's happening and ever look at that and say, that looks like an event that's promoting righteousness or holiness. And so that's, that's one issue. We could also talk about something, you know, we saw this during the, uh, um, the COVID, you know, uh, um, you know, pandemic for lack of a better, better term. I know that we, we probably rather think of it as a pandemic in many, in many ways. Right. But, but this, this, this thing that happened, what we saw is that for, you know, the left who's known for, pushing this idea of separation in church and state against Christians. So anytime somebody prays in the, in the Senate or at a, or at a football game, somebody's going to, on the left is going to say, no, no, no. What about separation in church and state? But all of a sudden the left was the one promoting the idea. Well, what would Jesus do in this situation? Wouldn't Jesus love his neighbor by getting the vaccine? And, and wouldn't Jesus be vaccinated? And so we started seeing this push. And I think a lot of Christians struggled to go, what does scripture offer to this? And so, you know, I point to two places. We look at something like what in theology, what's known as sphere sovereignty, that God has given, a, a, an, there's an order to creation, that he's given kings and rulers authority over their nations and their sovereign borders. He's given fathers authority over the family. He's given elders and pastors authority over the church. He's given all of us individual authority over our own body and that we see that in the form of, of free will. And we could have theological discussions about that, but regardless of which side of the, the free will debate you're on, I think that everybody would acknowledge that, that there is a sphere of sovereignty over your own physical body. This is why we have laws that if you violate somebody's body or you, you harass them or you, you, know, you abuse them in some way, that, that that's against the law. Why? Because you're violating their, their sphere of sovereignty. And so this is, there's all sorts of theological arguments against these different iterations that we see in wokeism uh, um, from the vaccine to even separating people based upon race and color or, or um, uh, you know, even, even the conversation about um, uh, reparations uh, for, for something. This, this is, when you look at scripture, it talks about not punishing people uh, um, based upon the acts of their parents or the acts upon their ancestors. And so there are so many ideas that are being presented today as this is what Jesus would do, or this is this biblical position that anybody who has any biblical sense whatsoever should easily be able to spot those. The problem is, is that we have such a increase of biblical illiteracy uh, in the church that most people can't recognize it. So what I've done in this new book, Woke Jesus, I actually quote Irenaeus, who was an early church father in the start of the book. And, and you know, his he wrote a book called Against Heresies, trying to defeat Gnosticism, an early uh, heresy that came against the church in the, in the um, he wrote it in 180 AD. And he said the reason why the first century church was not able to, ref to, to refute Gnosticism is they didn't understand it fully. And I believe the same is true today. Unless we start understanding wokeism 
critical theory, critical race theory, critical queer theory. And we see it as more than just, well, that's not true. How, why is it not true? And really be able to wrap our minds around it and untangle these, these doctrinal fishing lines that we can really clearly stand on, on sort of uh, knowing confidently we're on biblical grounds to be able to say this is unbiblical and here is why. Until the church is able to do that, I think we're going to continue to run into this and, and have a hard time getting past it. How have you seen, you know, when you go up against this left word twisting of Christianity, you know, it, it seems as though many of the institutions in our society are tilted in that direction mm-hmm. where the they're constantly pushing the Overton window yeah. on reparations, on you know, these claims from the left on transgenderism in particular. I can't see a Reuters or an AP article that ever cites criticism of gender-affirming care. It's just always assumed that, oh, all the hospitals, all the medical organizations support this. How is it, you know, preaching into this void, saying, like, no, Jesus doesn't support all this stuff that seems to be pushed down upon us? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, we have to continue to to fight this battle on multiple fronts. And of course, we want to do whatever we can. You know, if there's a media outlet that will let me go on and talk about these issues and they'll give it an honest shake, I'll do it. You know, if it, it, I don't care who it is. I'm going to go on there and, and really be able to, you know, to offer my best defense. I believe that's the position that the Lord has me in. Now, am I aware that there's certain media outlets that are never going to give this time of day or even certain, you know, whether it be government organizations or, you know, other uh, uh, leading foundations or, or NGOs or whatnot that are going to be at the front of moving a lot of these things along? There are there are powers that be that don't want this message to get out there and they don't want they don't want um, uh, people to realize that the emperor has no clothes and to to, to, to have the confidence to start admitting it. You know, they're not looking for that. But I think that there are places that are. And so we have to celebrate those. I think that the um, conservatives and Christians are also doing a great job of creating new platforms to be able to get the word out and to be able to really gather their own audiences. I'm encouraged by, you know, many of the apps that are popping up that are that are conservative friendly and. And there's danger in that because a lot of the app um, uh, platforms are, are you know, uh, governed by by left leaning, you know, uh, companies and individuals. So it, it always is a dance and dangerous. Even having a book like this on Amazon, you always wonder, like Amazon, you know, they can they can pull the plug whenever they want. Thankfully, they haven't. And I, I, I appreciate, you know, what I see, you know, to be at least still some sort of a value there to allow uh, to allow books to breathe. And, you know, regardless of, of content and which I'm certainly for, um, I, I think that the the other aspect of of this is that um, we as we as Christians we have to recognize that this that this is it's not just a physical battle that there's a spiritual aspect to this as well and I talk about this later on in the book and and it, I think that you know for us to get through this it, it can become very depressing very overwhelming very quickly when you realize how much you're up against you know in this whole equation and it's not even just secular platforms there are there are Christian groups that are that don't want this message to go out and that's where a lot of my you know work and writing has gone and so we have to remember why we're doing this, that ultimately um, it's not about me getting canceled. It's not about uh, this this fight that I'm trying to carry on. It's really about the Lord. And and I think that, you know, that's what moves me and motivates me every day to get up. And if I can win somebody over and and really help them to be able to see this, just had a woman come up to me and, and she uh, watches my show, uh, Church and State. And she, you know, she said, are you Lucas Miles? And I said, yes. And, and that doesn't happen every day to me, you know. And so, um, uh, but but I, I talked to her and she goes, I, I escaped communism. And she goes, 
I watch your show every single time it's on. And she goes, I just want you to know how much it means to me that you are bringing the truth to this that most people don't realize and they're not aware of. And, and you know, those sort of things really keep me going in the face of so much opposition that's truly out there. Yeah. And where are you a pastor? Where's your congregation? Yeah. yeah, so my church is called Influence Church. There's no I, so it's N-F-L-U-E-N-C-E. Yeah. And it's in, uh, it's right outside of South Bend, Indiana, uh, a suburb called Granger, Indiana, just about, you know, 10 minutes from the University of Notre Dame. And uh, we, we like to think we're the center of the nation because we have the two highways that run east and west and north and south throughout the whole uh, country uh, cross about a mile from my church. So uh, Indiana, uh, that, that's been home. Um, but, you know, we're on the road a lot. We're doing events around the country, lots of different ways to get connected with us. And uh, people can find all that and more on my website at lucasmiles.org. So did a certain former mayor uh, lead you to consider writing these books? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's funny. People always ask me because I, I haven't been in the political conversation, you know, forever. I, I really started probably ramping up 2012, 2013, 2014, and we started getting bolder. And it wasn't the national conversation that that inspired this. It was really what was happening locally. And, and uh, you know, Mayor Pete, who who obviously his regime kind of was built in South Bend. I started warning about him probably as early as 2012. I started talking to people about, hey, this guy's going to make a run for, you know, White House. He's doing all these things. And uh, and people laughed at me early on you know about it and and you know we we knew the history of uh, of you know the the his dad's involvement in translating Gramsci and all these you know sort of you know thing, long history of kind of critical theory ties you know with with Pete and his family and uh, I, I know Pete uh, he might claim that he doesn't know me I've, I've been around him I interviewed him for uh, Chamber of Commerce uh, 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 years back and you know we've we've had a little bit of interactions together over the years but um, that that was a big um, it was a big wake-up call just to see you know if you go to downtown South Bend, there's aspects where you saw the, um, you know, Pete did a lot of things to clean up the immediate downtown, but you go outside of that area at all, and it's, the city's probably the worst it's ever been, our crime is up, I mean, it's just a disaster, and so, and what we're seeing now is, um, you know, it was, it was kind of, you know, really uh, a guy that Pete knighted to take over, it's been a Democratic-run city for, I think, 50, 60 years, and so I'm working with some local people, hoping to change that um, as much as we can, and, uh, uh, you know, really trying to do our part, but yeah, there was there was definitely some inspiration there. Yeah, because I, I thought during that presidential cycle, hearing him constantly, like, he took his faith seriously, and yet he would twist it every time. And it's you know, life begins with breath and all this. Yeah, so this is the one, and I've talked about this a lot. I've not heard a lot of other people actually other than you notice that and mention that. Pete did something that I believe that no other presidential candidate has fully done before. And he, you know, we, we've seen presidential candidates talk about their faith. We've seen them, uh, we've seen them, you know, thank God for things. We've seen them even pray. Pete would exegete passages on the campaign trail. And so he's breaking down passages, using them really as, um, uh, as is in many ways sort of um, propaganda for his various views. And so I, I believe that there was actually a turning point with him. I'm not going to say that Pete was single-handedly responsible for, you know, um, giving life to the Christian left, but I think that in, I think he was a major inspiration for a lot of people on that side for that reason, because he would build these arguments about why, you know, um, you know, Jesus was a refugee, so therefore we need open borders and illegal immigration and, and you know, uh, uh, Jesus, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, it just, I mean, now I saw something that 
the other day on TikTok, they, they, it was a guy who said that, um, that Jesus was, was most likely either gay or transgender because he wore a tunic and that's a lot like a dress. And so therefore he was a cross dresser, you know, and it's, you know, just these, but you know, I think there's probably young people out there that hear this and they go, Oh yeah. You know, they're so, so insightful, you know, but when, you know, you understand history, these are ludicrous, you know, they're, they're asinine ideas, but, but we are winning people over because I think that they have tapped into, you know, what marks, you know, uh, uh, and, and others of, of just this, uh, um, the useful idiot, you know, sort of framework. And they are taking advantage of people um, based upon pulling on their heartstrings, giving them these propaganda pieces. And I think that when you take the time to really talk to somebody, you really, you, uh, they, they get educated about the policies. They start seeing the impact. You know, I've traveled all over the country. I've been in countries that are, that are controlled by dictators and corruption and everything else. And, and you see those things and you realize that, you know what, America is a pretty good place to live. But there's some people, I think, that are going out of their way trying to, uh, uh, trying to damage that. Yeah. Do you see any tie with woke Jesus and like the deconversion stories we've been hearing? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think this issue of deconversion is a major, major topic, and I think I think it's going to probably become even more so in the years that come. People have gone through a lot of church hurt. I call it post-traumatic church disorder, and, and I don't say that to belittle it. They've gone through some really damaging things. I think the height of, of legalism that we saw probably when I was a kid um, did a lot of damage to people, and, and there wasn't, you know, in the in the balance of grace and truth, it was a high truth side and very little grace. And, and, so, and then the, the pendulum swing, and it swung now to this high grace side with very little truth. And in some ways, it's swinging back, and now we have this polarization where we have a group over here that's high grace and a group over here that's high truth, and sometimes they, they're both missing aspects of this, and so sometimes it's, it feels a little lonelier in the center there. But it's, um, I, I think this deconversion thing, we have to keep our eyes on this. I think that it really requires, there's a biblical concept to deconversion, kind of. It's called repentance, and repentance is I get rid of my old ways of thinking, and I embrace his ways of thinking, and I get, I, I you know, uh, turn away from all the ideas that I've held that are contrary to him. The problem is with deconversion, they're going from one belief that they held, which was oftentimes wrong, to another belief that they hold, which is oftentimes wrong. And and neither group is is ever taking the time to go, what does scripture really have to say about this? I believe that that, that we can look to the Lord, we can look to scripture. It's, it's, uh, it is a book that is God-breathed, it's inspired, it's authoritative, it is the word of God, uh, and it's useful for every single aspect of my life. And so, I, I you know, my past is to help young people and, and really people of all, all kinds to, to be able to come back to the Word of God as first place. And I think we can get rid of a, a lot of this kind of nonsense that's out there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lucas. Where can the people follow you? Yeah. So they can uh, head over to uh, lucasmiles.org uh, and find out more about me if they're interested in booking me for a speaking event or, or grabbing a copy of my book. My, my new book, Woke Jesus, is available on Amazon or wherever else uh, books are sold. Uh, we just, uh, this morning, hit number one new release in, in uh, uh, one of the bigger categories. So I was super excited to see that happen. Uh, but appreciate the support and, uh, and, and your time. And with that, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Daily Signal podcast. A quick reminder that we do not have a top news show this afternoon in honor of Memorial Day. And we will also not have one on Monday. But we will be bringing you an interview edition, a special interview edition on Monday morning in honor of Memorial Day and those who have served our country and paid the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. We hope that you all have a wonderful weekend and we'll see you back here on Monday morning as we honor Memorial Day.
The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.